I'm Jessie Aredia, and you're listening to Soul Care for the New Mom, a podcast designed with new moms in mind, where we talk about what it looks like to thrive in motherhood as the free, confident, joy-filled women God has called us to be. I am so excited that you guys are about to hear from today's guest, Andi Colbert. Now, Andi is a professional counselor. She's also a newly book author, and we're talking about her new book, Try Softer, a fresh approach to move us out of stress, anxiety, and survival mode and into a life of connection and joy. And here's what I love about my conversation with Andi. We talk a lot about self-compassion. We talk about what does it look like to pay compassionate attention to our bodies or even to honor our wounds and to own our story and I just love the way Andi shares her own story she talks about some of some of her past trauma and how she was able to navigate that and offer space and compassion to herself in that time and I just know that you are going to walk away from this episode feeling encouraged and feeling inspired whether you have walked through your own trauma or even just in the middle of processing everyday motherhood I do believe that this episode is going to be one that you remember. So if you do enjoy today's episode, be sure to take a screenshot of it, put it in your Instagram stories, and tag me at Soul Care for the New Mom. And of course, I would love it if you would leave a review for the podcast because it helps other women find it too so that they can be encouraged and inspired as well. All right, without further ado, here is my conversation with Andi. Hi, Andi. Thank you for being on the podcast today. I'm really excited about our chat. Absolutely. Great to be with you. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited to talk about your upcoming book. I'm really excited about just even the title of it, Try mm. Softer, which just <laughs> oh, that completely resonates with me. Try Softer, a fresh approach to move us out of stress, anxiety, and survival mode and into a life of connection and joy. I just, I love it. And I want to talk all about it. But before we do, can you real quick just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your family and what this season of life looks like for you right now? Yeah, so I am a licensed therapist and um, I am in Castle Rock, Colorado, and I've been practicing Oh uh, gosh, I, I need to figure out if it's 12 years or 13 years who's <laughs> starting to lose track. Um, but so I, ha- and I am currently, I do private practice work. Um, so, you know, so I see folks um, in my office and um, I kind of transitioned out of it, some different seasons in, in terms of what I do therapeutically. And then also I'm an author now, which has its own um, own things that come with it. But I also have two kiddos and um, my daughter is seven and my son is two. And then I'm married to my husband, Brendan. We've been married for just about 12 years, just over 12 years now. Um, So this season is really, really sweet, but also very full, um, Mm. very tiring. (laughs) Um, And, but like really beautiful too, but I feel like I just... Um, you know, I think probably more so than even in other stages of my life when I had, um, a lot more time on my hands and things like that. I, it's like, there's just, there's a lot of people who need me and especially my kiddos. And so it's really a balance to figure out how to, you know, like the book title says, continue to try softer with myself 
while also Mm. being, you know, especially for my kids and in my marriage, being present for them and knowing like, like that's for me, it really is the most important work that I could do. Um, And then, you know, my clients and my friends and my, you know, my other family, like those things really matter. And so continuing to find that balance of um, how much can I give and still stay true and kind to myself too. Mm, yes, and I'm I'm sure that that's that's like a journey uh, in and of itself, just trying to figure all of that out. That I I think God is so good in kind of leading us in, but definitely takes time, takes a lot of wisdom and prayer and insight. Um, did you always know that you wanted to become an author? I mean, I know like this this mm-hmm. is your first book, and that's really exciting. Like, has this always been on your heart, or are you kind of surprised that this is the direction <laughs> you went in? That's a great question. You know, I, I, I think I'm actually kind of surprised. I've always, I love reading. Like I adore reading and honestly, I mean, I really enjoy nonfiction, but I, I really love fiction. Um, it's kind of been a form of self like self-care for me just to be able to really be in a story is I love that. Um, and then, but I've, and I've always, you know, journaled quite a bit and, you know, just done a lot of writing because of my different academic stuff. Um, but I think the, the further I got and have, have gone in my own journey towards healing and wholeness. And, um, you know, part of my story is that I'm a survivor of, um, some pretty significant, um, trauma in my, just my family and in my childhood and kind of how that shaped me. And, you know, this book really, in a way, is sort of like a love letter, um, in some ways, a very practical love letter in some elements, but um, really to a, my younger self. Um, I think mm. I wish that I would have had this sort of resource that was sort of this, comp- I mean, obviously it's my own book, so I'm biased, but I, I feel <laughs> like it's a pretty comprehensive perspective where um, my goal sort of was to help readers feel joined in their experience. But then once they feel joined to also have some tools, um, how to like work with what might be coming up with, might be coming up for them as they're reading. And Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes there are, you know, folks that I've loved to read where I've felt so seen by them um, in a weird way, even though I'm reading. Um, But I just feel like, man, this author gets it. But then as a therapist, there are times when I would be reading something, I'd be like, oh, I want to tell everybody about this principle. You know, maybe it's like mindfulness or um, emotional regulation or whatever that might mean. And so you know, going back to your original question, I think over time, this desire to sort of um, fuse together my own story with, I actually really love, you know, I just, I love um, just observing beauty and, and wanting to really bring that into the book with some things that just felt um, really practical in the here and now as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people these days really appreciate the practical. Because especially, you know, a lot of my listeners there are moms, they're in a season where they're trying to figure so many new things out. Mm. And we need that practical wisdom. Like, what does it look like to take care of myself? What does it look like Mm -hmm. to make it out of this season alive and and not just to survive, but to even thrive? And that's, you know, what I love so much about the message of your book is 
you don't have to stay stuck in this survival mode, that there's actually Mm -hmm. more for you than that. Um, Mm -hmm. So let's go ahead and talk more about your book. Tell me a little bit about the title. How did you come up with the title, Try Softer? Oh man, it's been quite an adventure with that. Um, start before, you know, when I was first beginning to think about my book, um, the earliest title was Becoming Whole. And, and that now I'm like, well, it's, it's a fine title, but it wasn't really getting at what I think I was ultimately really trying to say. Um, but when I began writing it, I think I was trying to figure out how to communicate this message of what I now call compassionate attention. Mm, And what I mean by that is really just that for so many of us, we have been for lots of different reasons. We've been socialized maybe from our culture. Maybe we've been parented in a certain way. Maybe we've um, just picked up messages, both so implicit and explicit. So things that have either been said or just that we read the situation a certain way. Um, that that maybe we're not actually worthy of attention that's compassionate, you know, because a lot of us have gotten attention that actually doesn't feel good. <laughs> it, maybe it's judgmental attention or it's critical mm-hmm. attention or it's shaming attention. And so that compassion piece matters a lot. And so as the book sort of progressed and developed, and I have a great, you know, editor and a great team at Tyndale that really helped me to continue to flesh out this idea and what began as, Try Softer really began as the a, a title to a chapter that I had. Um, and I, and really even before that, it was about um, something I had really begun to learn, especially since I became a mom, actually, um, was that basically there are times when pushing or like really trying hard doesn't actually help. Like it, it actually keeps us really stuck. Yeah. And so as we kind of, kind of chewed on this idea, I began to see that try softer was really the idea of my kind of entire book that all of this, you know, a lot of the work in the book is is through evidence-based research around like something called interpersonal neurobiology, which is essentially a neuroscience perspective on how our body um, deals with pain and how we connect with each other and um, just how we relate, um, but then knowing how that actually affects our body. And so, yeah, just as I kind of stayed with that, I saw that compassion was one of the things that really tied it all together. Because when we have a posture where our, our experience doesn't matter, or we're shaming ourselves, or we're just like ignoring our experience by, I call it white knuckling. It basically takes all the good things that we might be experiencing and sort of throws it out the window because we lose the ability to listen to our bodies. Mm. And, you know, I really, it's so interesting to see how neuroscience points to this, but I think as, you know, as a Christian, I think this really integrates with my faith too, that God made our bodies really special. Like we're temples. Um, Jesus came in a body, you know, like there's so much significance to our bodies. And so learning to try softer in a way is being able to pay compassionate attention to our experience and allowing that to inform how we treat ourselves. Yeah. And so that yeah. really has this wide range of implications because 
you know, trying softer will look different in different situations. Like um, if I'm exhausted, trying softer might mean that I need to rest. Um, if I'm famished because I never feed myself because I'm running around after my kids, trying softer is noticing that my body's like, I need food, you know? Um, if I have friendships that while I may love them um, are sort of harmful to me, trying softer actually might mean asking myself what boundaries or limits do I need in place so that I can be well. So there's mm -hmm. just this really wide range of implications for this idea. Yeah, I love that. Now, I can imagine that some women listening right now, they are loving this idea of trying softer, just this very compassion-based, grace-based perspective to themselves. But I also imagine that some of them are thinking, but I can't slow down, but I mm. can't catch a break. I can't mm -hmm. do that because people need me. And especially, you know, kind of like what you said, when when there are people who need you, when your kids need you, when a job needs you, when people in your life need you, how mm -hmm. do you continue to give yourself that compassion mm. and not get caught up in the needs of others, but yet still meet those needs, you know, if they really, right. you know, do yeah. matter. So what do you, yeah. what do you have to say in regards to that? Yeah. I mean, I think there's so, I think, first of all, that's such a valid question. And, and even in the introduction of my book, like, cause I get it. Cause that's, that's me. And like, that's my story too. Um, I remember my supervisor back in the day when I was really a, a new young counselor kind of began to give me this idea, like, Andy, you know, I see you pushing so hard and what would it be like for you to be a little bit more gentle, to try softer? And my first reaction was like, in, I didn't say this to him, but internally with some anger, like, mm. How in the world am I going to get everything done if I just try softer? You know what I mean? And so I think I just want to first validate that that's a really, um, that's a good question. And that's really normal to ask. And as a mom myself, I get, I get it too, especially in the stage I'm in with, um, you know, my two-year-old, there's so many big feelings in every single day, you know? Um, yeah. And so, but what I would just encourage your listeners to think about is that trying softer is really about a posture more than it is the actionable steps. And so what I mean by that is that the actions will come, hmm. but first it's, it's beginning to have a perspective where we observe our own experience and we begin to sort of like in the same way that we would maybe even think about wanting to care for like comfort or maybe our children or someone that we care about, um, that kind of energy where we're like, man, that's a hard day. You know, like when maybe a friend of ours says, this is what my day was like. Um, if we can begin to even notice what that feels like, that softening of our heart towards that person and even begin to just direct that towards ourselves. I think that's a really good beginning. Um, and so what I mean by that is, you know, that requires that we are first um, in what I would call our window of tolerance. So I want to explain that really quick, just because I'm sure that's a new term for most folks. The window of tolerance is a term that just means um, it's a range in which we can feel and sort of tolerate our experience before we either go into fight or flight or into a sort of dissociative or freeze state. 
And the reason this matters is because if we're in either fight or flight or freeze, um, the top of our brain, our prefrontal cortex, um, is not online. And that is the part of our brain that we really need to be able to observe what's going on in like our body and with ourselves. And so all that to say, like, like let's say you wake up and your toddler is screaming and the house is a mess and you just notice your heart is racing and all these, these clues that like you're not feeling like yourself. That's a good clue that you're out of your window of tolerance. And so the first goal um, before we can really try softer is that we have to get back in our window of tolerance. Um, and so oftentimes this is where like emotional regulation and, and if, you're, if your um, listeners haven't heard that, that just means we're just trying to get our basically our prefrontal cortex back online and our body to a place where we're able to just sort of feel like ourself again. Um, and so this really matters in the sense that once we are connected to ourselves, we can begin to be able to say, well, maybe it doesn't really matter that the house is a mess. Maybe it actually matters more that I feed myself <laughs> or <laughs> maybe it actually like oftentimes I think it means choosing sanity over productivity. So it's like, mm. you know, maybe it's not about having everything be perfect, but could we just go outside and notice that the sun is out and feel the grass underneath our feet and give ourselves really a chance to let our nervous system calm down and get back online so I can just be really present. And so I know a lot of those things, like it, it, it's easy to talk about, right? But it's much harder and it takes a lot of practice to give ourselves permission to not be perfect, to not fit the norms of what we think we should be as moms, as women, as, as just a person in a culture that is very driven. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And this idea of emotional regulation, I can imagine that that is extremely important when dealing with trauma, because I know that that's a part of your work, a large part of your work, mm. um, and a large part of your story as well. Um, I'm wondering how can women who have experienced trauma um, and just for the purposes of this podcast, maybe like trauma relating to motherhood. So mm. infertility, maybe miscarriage. Um, how can women who have experienced trauma begin to offer themselves that compassion and try, try softer instead of mm. harder? Like how, like what is maybe some of the first steps they can take? Yeah. Well, one of the first things to keep in mind, um, you know, with this whole discussion is that, you know, in and of itself, well, let me back up. Let me define how I talk about trauma, because I think that will probably be really helpful for your listeners. Sure. I define, tra tra excuse me, trauma a little bit more broadly than a lot of folks do. Um, and the way I define it is anything that overwhelms our nervous system's ability to cope and and then it isn't fully processed, hmm. meaning, you know, so much of that is going to be dependent on the way we perceive an experience. Um, and so this really matters for this whole discussion with motherhood, because oftentimes um, the way we experience things as adults have um, have their templates from our actually our childhood. So, for example, 
um, let's say we grew up in a family where it wasn't okay to feel feelings. And, you know, not that, the, you know, maybe our, it's not that our parents didn't love us, but that they were just really uncomfortable. They didn't think it was okay to feel feelings. It was like every time something was wrong, um, you know, you were shamed or something like that. So like, then let's say 25 years later, you're in the middle of struggling with not being able to conceive a baby. And that, you know, very, in a very valid way, brings up a lot of grief. And what can happen is if the way that trauma works in our body is that that template for hard things becomes what we bring into the situation as we experience infertility. And so our body may not have what it feels like it needs to process the intensity and maybe the grief and the anger and the fear and all the things that are coming up around infertility. And this is how, you know, because in and of itself, infertility is hard. But then let's say you've never learned to feel your feelings and it can become what can really sort of, like that trauma can really accumulate. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It definitely does. So I think it's really important for folks to know that because a lot of times um, as we're doing the work of honoring our wounds and honoring our current experience, that means having a wider lens for like our whole story. Oftentimes the things that are hard in the present, um, they may be very well, like truly hard in the present and they can be exacerbated by earlier parts of our story that maybe were Mm. difficult. And so oftentimes to truly move through things that are difficult, we have to really, you know, Brene Brown talks about owning our story. Like that's a part of the work is saying there's a sense in which, um, you know, like for me, I, I experienced um, especially secondary infertility and it was really, really difficult, really difficult. And then I, after, um, we had only a 1% chance of getting pregnant. And then I did get pregnant. And then we actually, I, um, the baby stopped developing. Um, and we had to wait almost a month um, before we found out if the baby would actually continue to develop or not. And it was a brutal time. I mean, it was so hard. And that, I can honestly say, really activated a lot of my old wounding around um, even just feelings of like rejection and like, why not me? You know, like, Mm -hmm. why is this happening to me? And, um, and so it's like, I had to care for both my present day self, who was truly hurting, but also acknowledge this, that there was this other part of myself that felt like maybe I wasn't um, as loved. And, And honestly, this, this caused me to really wrestle with God. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, who are you, God? Like, what is your posture to me in this pain? Um, I really wrestled with God. Like, what is God's character like to us in pain? Um, And it was, you know, ultimately, I'm really grateful for everything I had learned about trauma um, up to that point, because I sort of knew that what I was experiencing could become um, sort of complex trauma because it were just a multiple things that were happening. And so with that knowledge, 
um, really what I began to do, this is actually when this whole idea of try softer became even more sort of ingrained in me because I began to just practice really fierce self-compassion for myself. Um, and that meant doing things like the day before um, I was going to have my DNC surgery, I got a babysitter and for no other reason than I was like, I just need to give myself some space and to just like process what's going on. And I, like, I went to the movies by myself and I, um, you know, I just went on, a, on like, like a couple of walks and I called my sister and I just, it was like, I literally asked myself, if this was my best friend, what would I hope that she would begin to do for herself as she's experiencing something that is just mm, awful, yeah. you know? And so, you know, for your listeners who might be in the middle of this, you know, I know that it's not always feasible to get a babysitter and do these things, but I would just encourage folks to understand that small acts really matter, you know, like little ways that we show up for ourselves count. And so even doing things like reaching out to someone who feels safe and saying, I'm not okay right now. Do you think you could text me later? Or could we get together? Or would it be possible for you guys to bring me a meal? Um, doing things like, hey, could you help me find a counselor? Because I'm feeling really overwhelmed. Um, doing things that anything that helps us get back in our window of tolerance. So bringing that back into play, um, really recognizing, you know, I'm, I'm super anxious. Um, when we notice those types of things, the first priority is always, always, always not to solve problems in that place because we don't have our full brain, but always to come back fully to ourselves first. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the ways that, um, you know, for your listeners, if they're needing tools, it, when they uh, potentially, you know, look at my website, ondicolber.com, um, I have a free video that I send out to folks and it's to walk people through what's called a grounding exercise. And grounding is just a way that we utilize our senses to get us back into the window of tolerance. It's it really trying, it tries to focus on getting so present centered that it helps our body reintegrate. Um, so I just want to mention that as, you know, that's yeah, a tool definitely. that folks can use. But either way, I just want, um, you know, your listeners to know that um, all the things that might be coming up as they go through the hard things are, are valid and worthy of care. You know, like it's not too small. Even, you know, I know a lot of women struggle with, well, it's only been X amount of months. I can't believe um, this is hard for me. Or things like, um, well, I should be happy because I have X. Well, I can't yeah. believe, um, you know, I have it better than them. So why am I complaining? Those are the types of statements that keep us stuck because what we're doing is we're shaming ourselves for our pain. So the more that we can say to ourselves and for ourselves that, you know, God is so kind to us. God is so loving and we really have permission and really are invited to treat ourselves that way too. Yeah. Yeah. That is beautiful. And I, um, I, there's so many things that you just said right there that I could dive into. I, I'm thinking about the women that I've talked to who have had 
like a using a broad version of trauma like what you described maybe they've had a traumatic birth experience i've talked mm. to a lot of women who have a lot of regret or shame or just unhappiness about their births mm. and even months and months after the baby you know is already here it's like they still can't fully like talk about it they still don't know how to accept it and how to mm. almost like give compassion to their past selves kind of like what you were talking about you know you gotta give you gotta give compassion to your current self but also the past self too and um and I'm also thinking about women that I talk to who struggle with breastfeeding mm. and who almost have like this the shame or this pain from not being able to breastfeed or not having that relationship quite go the way that they thought it would go and gosh when I think about motherhood it's like there is so much that that we have to landmine it is it is and a lot and a lot of it is heavy but but the problem is that um you're right in that we do kind of are tempted to say oh well you know I should be thankful for what I have Mm -hmm. and almost like brushing things that really matter to us under the rug um even things like you know oh you know, my daughter weaned before I was ready Mm. or I didn't Uh get the birth I wanted. Even those things we can carry with us and not fully, you know, express them or not even work through them. So I just so appreciate all the things that you're saying about, you know, being open and being willing to wrestle through that with Uh God even, because I think that in some ways, you know, our even things like that do affect our faith and the way we perceive God. Um, and so I just love your honesty and how, you know, you've had to do your own wrestling. And um, yeah. what would you say to the listener who is, you know, maybe she's gone through some sort of trauma or maybe she's facing a very hard situation and she is going through that wrestling with God, but she mm-hmm. she's almost like afraid to be fully honest with him about what she's feeling because I've been there so I, I know mm-hmm. how scary it can be to to be open and honest even with our creator and I think it's just sometimes it's you know perceptions from our childhood or our adolescence mm-hmm. sometimes it's just incorrect theology but but what would you say to that listener who you know she just is trying to get closer to the heart of God but is still afraid to really open herself up yeah well, I think it's a really nuanced question, um, and I and I actually address this a bit in my book, really through the mm-hmm. lens of something that's called attachment theory. Um, and and for folks that aren't familiar, attachment theory just is essentially the idea that every human um, in general is going to have a form of attachment to their caregivers, and so the question becomes, what is the quality of the attachment? And, and mostly there's two types. There's either secure attachment or there's insecure attachment. And within insecure attachment, there are several, there are three types. Um, our goal, our hope is that as much as possible that folks would experience secure attachment with their caregivers. And, um, and that matters a lot because our attachment style that we experience with our caregivers becomes sort of our template for really all of our um, relationships later in life. And, and so there's nuance to that. Like it's a whole, it's a whole field of psychology, but in general, that's, what's true. And it's a lot about the way, you know, it's very nervous system driven. It's, it's very much about, um, if we can fully be present, if, if we're in our window of tolerance, I mean, there's a lot of neuroscience that is a part of it, 
But I think this matters in this conversation because it also will affect how we experience God. And I always want to be careful because there's always going to be, you know, some people are going to have some different experiences, um, even if they maybe had a secure attachment. Sometimes that can be because of something like um, incorrect theology. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But oftentimes when we've had an insecure attachment, maybe from a caregiver or something has, there's been a significant attachment wounding, it's really easy for us to transfer that to our experience of God. And so there's a couple of ways, you know, that I would just encourage folks to address this. And the first is to say, this is actually really normal. <laughs> like mm -hmm. something like 40% of Americans have an insecure attachment. So it's, it's pretty common. Um, it's not a life sentence. Um, there's a, there's a big variation within um, insecure attachment and, and really doing the work of trying softer, like all of the work that I talk about in the book actually is geared to move us towards a secure attachment because ultimately a secure attachment in ourselves is is actually partly evidenced by the way that we interact and treat ourselves so our own difficulty with things like self-compassion can be partly about attachment styles um, and so with god in particular i think one of the things is actually um, in person, like connecting with people in our real life that we experience as safe can be a way that can help us bridge um, what God's heart actually is for mm. us. Meaning those in-person templates begin to help us feel like, like in my own story, I, I have what is called an earned secure attachment. And that means that I was given in my story an insecure attachment. And over time and through a lot of work, I have been able to get to a point where I am able to experience most attachment experiences through the lens of an earned secure attachment now. But my it was my husband who, and, my, and our experience of emotional safety and not perfect, but what's called good enough, <laughs> like essentially, because <laughs> no human is perfect. Right. But it was in that same time period that I began to experience the consistency of a person who really loved me, who was, who was good enough, that I began to, I did really wrestle with God. And it, but it, that's what helped me to bridge that that is also what God, how God felt about me. <laughs> like, like the way that I knew my husband held me in his heart, like I began to see that God has always held me that way too. And so as that began to get stronger, I, you know, I would meditate and, and at times do meditate on some really beautiful verses, like, you know, from, you know, from the Bible. And I especially love, um, like, I love the story of the prodigal son. Um, mm, yeah. And, and it's like, I think so many of us were like, oh, we really focus on the sons, which I think that there's value there. Um, I don't want to take that away. But I love, like, I love thinking about the father. Um, and especially the message translation, like the father. Um, and I think it says, like, the father stopped paying attention to what the son said because he was so set on celebrating that the son was home. 
that there was just this sense of like, God did not shame his son, like, like, or, you know, the father in the story, um, there, like, there's just this picture of this really secure attachment. Um, and so I think we kind of need both. Like we need the knowledge that this is who God is. And I think we can do that too through just prayer and things like centering prayer or meditating like Lectio Divina. I'm not saying that right. Um, (laughs) But often it's those human experiences that help us then really drive it home. Mm, I love that. I love that. And I am... I feel like this is a message that a lot of women need to hear. Um, I'm really excited about your book and just the the perspective that it's going to give. And um, yeah, I just, I would love for you to tell the listeners where they can find you. Where can they find your resources? Where can they find this book? Yeah. Um, so like I mentioned, ondicolber.com is my website. I'd love to have you visit there. And um, with my newsletter, I, I try to do about, Uh, like at least one resource video a month. So that's really helping folks with these sort of regulation tools that I send out um, in my newsletter. So I'd love to have folks sign up for that. And then, um, you know, you can order my book at Amazon, Tyndale.com, Barnes and Noble, and hopefully just about any place uh, books are sold. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, for just sharing your heart, sharing this message and I feel like just just being a voice of encouragement and in certain areas that I think women need to hear these things in. Um, mm. So definitely thank you so much. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. <laughs>